0: I believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So we are not just going through the motions when we show up on a Sunday morning and we read God's word and we preach God's word. We actually anticipate that God will use his word to accomplish something in our lives. We are in a position of need. We need God to show up. We need God to teach us the truth. And that is what we're here to do. So. Let's have high expectations of what God can do through the preaching and teaching of His Word. I want you to know that I'm really grateful uh, to be your pastor. I'm humbled to be here. It's exciting for me. It's exciting ministry and uh, it's exciting to be involved in your lives. Um, I'm seeing God work in tremendous ways. I believe that God is actually transforming our church Uh, By his power and grace, and it's not because of what any one person is doing, but it is because the Holy Spirit is at work in us, um, his people, and that's exciting to be a part of. The truth of God's word changes people. The gospel gives life to the dead, it awakens the sleeping, it energizes the lazy, it makes the fearful bold, it makes the weak strong. The gospel compels people who had no sense of purpose and direction in their life. I, wanna, I want us to leave here today doing five things. You don't need to write them down, but you do need to remember number five. But, but I want us to leave believing that Jesus is God and believing in God. Uh, secondly, I, I want us leaving confiding in the promises of God. I want us to depend on Jesus, depending on Jesus to take us to God, enjoying the glory of God. And I want us to leave here and our primary focus for today, expecting that God will do great things in and through us. Actually expecting that God will do great, great things in and through us. And when I say to expect that God will do great things in and through us. I don't want you to hear in that prosperity gospel or church growth movement. I want you to hear the power and promises of God. I don't know exactly what great things God will do, but I do know this. He'll use believers for something great. I don't know the scale. I don't know the scope. But I know on the authority of the Bible that God's Spirit lives in His people, and He will do great things in and through them. Do you expect God to use you for great things? Do you expect God to use you for great things? And I think that that expectation that we should have overflows from our desire to experience the glory of God. Do you want to see God? Do you want to see God? We're continuing from last week. Philip said what was likely on all of their minds. Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Notice two things there. One, they all wanted to see God. They all wanted to see God. Show us the Father and it is archeo. It is enough. It is sufficient for us. Philip was saying, we'll be satisfied if we see God. They wanted to gaze upon the beauty and glory of God, and they believed Jesus was the one that could show it to them. Secondly, they all had incomplete faith. They believed in Jesus, but at this point in time, they failed to comprehend the fullness of Jesus. They failed to understand that everyone who sees Jesus sees God, sees the Father. The Father and Son are one, This is mostly because the disciples hadn't yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit, of truth. In time, they would receive that spirit of truth, and the fullness of Jesus would then become clear to them. In light of their ignorance, Jesus tenderly said to Philip, verse 9, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Now, the first you in that is plural, And the second you is singular. He was with all of them, okay, for over three years. And verse 9 is pretty emotional. He said right to Philip, you, Philip, still don't know me. How can you say, show us the Father? And, And I wonder when he heard that, what was going through Philip's mind? What was going through inside of him to have the Lord Jesus Christ say, how can you say, show us the Father? Have you ever said something embarrassing that revealed your own ignorance? I've been there far too many times. Maybe like Megan Kelly from Fox News who insisted that Santa Claus and Jesus were both white, which is very interesting. I'm pretty sure Jesus was Middle Eastern. Uh, Philip spoke from his ignorance. I'd imagine he felt a bit sheepish. Uh, after Jesus gently corrected him, Jesus continued, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Now we see differently. We see through the gospel. They actually were looking at God incarnate in the flesh. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the full revelation of God. Paul said in Colossians, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he said, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells Bodily. Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh. And his disciples had seen God. And Jesus questioned Philip. He taught him by questioning his faith. Not to somehow weaken Philip, but he questioned his faith to strengthen his faith. Verse 10 Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You see, Philip believed in Jesus. But he missed some very critical uh, elements or attributes of Jesus that he wasn't seeing. And that's us too. Sometimes we believe wrong things about God. We believe wrong things about Jesus, about who He is. And, and then the Holy Spirit comes in through the Word of God and corrects our thinking of what we always might have believed about God, but then we need to be brought back into line with who God really is. We need to humbly allow God's Word to rebuke us and to correct us absolutely every day because we are prone to error in how we think of God. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Do you believe In Jesus, God's son. Do you know Jesus, God's son? Or do you believe in some cultural reimagined Jesus? A Jesus fashioned after what you want Jesus to be. Do you love Jesus for the fullness of his person? Now, I, I don't want you to doubt your faith and your salvation. That's not what I'm trying to do as a pastor. I'm trying to strengthen it. But I do think that you need to examine yourself to make absolutely sure you know Jesus for who he really is. The fullness of his person. Believe that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. God is really, really, really big. He transcends our intellect and the oneness and unity of the three persons of the Trinity is mind-blowing. We can't figure that math out. God is too big. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, and that's really, really big. As all the disciples were listening, Jesus said to them, The words that I say to you, I do not speak. On my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And then he added this imperative, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. It was bold for Jesus to say this. Either he was deranged and completely out of his mind, or he was telling the truth. Listen to how Jesus validated his, what I'll call, co-indwelling with God. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, okay? Whose authority? By whose authority did he speak? He said, the Father who dwells in me does his works. His authority to speak came from the Father, came from God's authority working in him. And this is a theme that we've seen throughout the book of John. You can look at John 7, verse 16 John 8, verses 28 and 29 and 40, John 12, verse uh, uh, 49, Jesus spoke with the authority of God. In fact, God commanded him to say everything that he said. Nothing that Jesus said or did was detached from the authority of God, from the authority of his Father If Jesus was going to say all of the things that he said, then he needed to back it up by doing things that only God could do. He needed to act in a way where the only thing you could say looking at his life was, man, that's God. He has to be God, right? Because otherwise, Jesus would just be talking big and slinging some stuff out that he's not backing up. A few weeks ago, we hit the Pennsylvania Relief Sale. Have any of you ever been to the relief sale up in uh, Harrisburg at the... No? Okay. Maybe like two people are shaking their heads. But anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. They have a, it, I think it's the Mennonite Central Committee that it benefits. And we saw a deaf illusionist, which was very interesting. His name was Sam Sandler, and he had a great show. Uh, we really enjoyed it as a family. And during the show, he needed a dad from the audience and guess who enthusiastically volunteered for that? So he brought me up on stage and he dressed me up in this thing. I don't even know what it was. And, and so I was supposed to mimic everything that he was doing. And so I was having fun mimicking him. And, and that even included dancing, which I was very, very glad to do in front of all these people. It was a lot of fun. And, and uh, we tore up this tissue. He had me tear it up and then we both put it in our mouths and... And so mine is kind of this gross mess that's coming out, and he started to pull his out. And then he asked me, just grab the end of this, and this is while the music is going. So I grab the end of it, and he says, walk. So I start walking, and I pulled this, no joke, probably for 40 feet out of his mouth. Chewed up things, woof, in a long white stream of 40 feet. I was impressed. It was really amazing. Now let me ask you, was that a work of God? And we can pretty clearly say, no, it was not a work of God. We all know enough about illusions and tricks to, to assume that behind that there's a reasonable explanation for it. Okay, He had swallowed something. And, no, I'm kidding. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> but there's a reasonable explanation for it. But we're, we're watching it and we're still impressed. All right. But what if there was no logical explanation for something? What if a dead man comes back to life? What if a man born blind sees? What category do those things fit into? There is no category except God. That's the category. Jesus did what only God could do. Jesus had said before, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Science and illusion can't explain Jesus Christ. There's no category for that. Because Jesus said, The Father who dwells in me does his works. The Father is in Jesus. Jesus is in the Father. And the works that he did prove it. His works substantiated his words. He did say to them, I am the truth. So they should believe him simply because he's the truth. But Jesus added, or else believe on account of the works themselves. His works testified to him. Verse 11 is basically a repeat of John 10, 37 and 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus is consistent. You know, there's really only three ways that you can respond to Christ's divine works. One, you can see his works and you can believe in him. Two, you can see his works and you can deny him. And three, you can make up really weird theories about it all. People work very hard to remove the supernatural from science, from culture, from life, And yes, even from religion. They invent weird theories as alternatives to God. Have you heard of the theory called directed panspermia? Directed panspermia, anybody? Nobel Prize winner Dr. Francis Crick and chemist Dr. Leslie Orgel codified the theory of directed panspermia in 1973, so it's been around for a while. Dr. Crick found it impossible... That DNA naturally evolved, hence the advancement of directed panspermia. Rather than seeing God's artistic design in DNA, Dr. Francis Crick suggested an alternative theory, that life was sent to earth by another advanced civilization from outer space. Not God, aliens. Aliens. That came from the celebrated molecular biologist, biophysicist, neuroscientist, and Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Francis Crick. I want you to hear what Dr. Crick wrote in an article titled, Why I Am a Humanist. So that's basically why I'm not a Christian, why I'd rather trust in myself. This is what he said, quote, we have a deep need to know why we are here. What is the world made of? More important, what are we made of? In the past, religion answered these questions often in considerable detail. Now we know that almost all these answers are highly likely to be nonsense, having sprung from man's ignorance and his enormous capacity for self-deception. The simple fables of the religions of the world have come to seem like tales told to children Even understood symbolically, they are often perverse, if not rather unpleasant. Humanists, then, live in a mysterious, exciting, and intellectually expanding world, which once glimpsed makes the old worlds of religion seem fake, cozy, and stale, end quote. Did it ever dawn on Dr. Francis Crick, Nobel Prize winner, that man's ignorance and his enormous capacity for self-deception may have influenced his scientific theory and understanding of his own existence? When aliens become a more reasonable conclusion for the origin of life on earth than God, it would appear that something other than evidence is driving the conclusion. When the truth of God becomes Undesirable for someone, it is far too easy to escape into delusion and fanciful theory in order to create moral relativity for oneself. If I don't have to answer to God, but I can answer maybe to some freakish aliens, then I don't really have to do what the Bible says I have to do. Humanism leads to unbridled sin and rebellion. That's Romans 1, folks. And we're still left with the question, where did the aliens come from? Everyone must face the conclusive evidence for Jesus Christ. We must concede that his life and work have no explanation outside of divinity. And he is therefore to be worshipped and served as God. All must bow the knee to King Jesus, the creator of the universe. Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus. And together they exist and work in divine concert. The disciples were missing this, but they would eventually get it. Why? Because God would send his Holy Spirit of truth so that it would finally sink in. He would reveal it to them. The last three verses of our passage are really dangerous. They're easy to twist, but when they're understood correctly, they can offer you incredible encouragement and hope and courage. Here's the application. Believe in Jesus and you will do greater things than Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you will do greater things than Jesus. Now that sounds suspicious. That sounds like a breath away from heresy. So before you fire me and run me out of here, which pitchforks and fire, whatever comes to your mind and would be fun, look at verse 12, and I want you to help me understand, help me to interpret what verse 12 means. What does Jesus mean? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, Will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Did Jesus mean to say that believers would do greater things than he did? Well, that's what he said. What did he mean? The word for works is different than the word for signs, and they're both used quite a bit in the book of John signs or miracles. Works could include signs, but works are more than signs. Works involve everything that Jesus did to glorify God, everything that he did. And he did a lot other than signs and miracles. Jesus said in John four thirty four, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said in John six thirty eight, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus would later say in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The work of Jesus was doing the will and works of God, so God would then be glorified through those works. So with that in mind, I want you to look at a couple key things from verse 12 that can keep us perhaps from heresy. Number one, to do the works of Jesus, you must believe in Jesus. Belief, faith in union with Christ is essential, are essential rather. No one can do the works that he did without faith. Good works proceed from faith in Christ. They do not precede faith in Christ. Doing the works of Jesus is a guarantee for everyone who believes, not for a certain class of Christians Whoever believes in Christ. To do the works of Jesus is to do the will or the works of God so that God is glorified in those works. Dr. John Piper defines doing the works of Jesus like this a life of words and deeds that help people believe in Jesus. Number two, whoever believes will do greater things than Jesus. Believers will not only do the works of Jesus, but Jesus said they will do greater works than these. Greater things. The word works is actually not in the second half of verse 12. It's implied in the passage. Greater things he will do. Greater works he will do. Will we raise people from the dead? Will we heal a man born blind? Will we top Jesus on his miracle list? What does Jesus mean? No Christian will ever, ever, ever top the miracles of Jesus. Not going to happen. The apostles didn't. No one through church history did. Impossible to do that. John MacArthur said this, quote, Jesus did not mean greater works in power, but in extent. RVG Tasker wrote, the works of the apostles after the resurrection were not greater in kind than those of Jesus, but greater in the sphere of their influence. Here's what I think Jesus meant. Jesus had very few true and genuine disciples when, uh, when he was on earth, during his earthly ministry. This is just a small group of people. But after he accomplished redemption on the cross, after he left, after he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his people and make the powerful gospel clear, the church grew exponentially through the discipleship of his followers. He used his followers to explode the growth of the church. That's significant in interpreting verse 12. The SV Study Bible includes in these greater works evangelism, teaching, teaching. ...and works of mercy and compassion. It said, quote, "...these works are greater not because they are more amazing miracles... ...but because they will be greater in their worldwide scope... ...and will result in the transformation of individual lives and whole cultures and societies." You see, miracles never saved anyone. You see that consistently through John. Miracles were never enough to produce saving faith inside of someone... Jesus performed miracles to substantiate his truth claims and what came out of his mouth. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel does save people, a lot of people. Jesus left the discipleship of the nations, which includes evangelism, to whom? Believers, his followers. This is important to understand. Jesus will use believers to spread the gospel To save the nations. And the extent of that work is much greater than what Jesus accomplished in the flesh when he was there. He came for a different purpose. So this is very, very exciting for you if you're a believer this morning. Listen closely. God will bring about the redemption of the nations through us. Through us. You have some family members that need Jesus? You have some friends, some co-workers that need Jesus desperately and you're looking at their lives saying, there is no hope here. God can use you. He might. To bring about salvation, the repentance and faith needed for salvation, who's God going to use? Preaching the gospel matters teaching the gospel matters, sharing the gospel with a friend matters, writing the gospel in a letter to a friend matters. Think of what greater things God will do in and through us if we trust him and go to work. Number three, whoever believes will do greater works than Jesus, precisely because he returned to his father. First of all, notice that Jesus answered Peter's and Thomas' questions. Where was he going? He was going to the Father. He answered that. But what does his departure to the Father have to do with believers accomplishing greater things? And here's the answer. The Holy Spirit. He had to go to then send the Holy Spirit to indwell his believers, which is the power to see incredible things happen. And next week, we're going to start just a really short two-part series on the Holy Spirit before we continue in John 14, which I think will be helpful to us. So you need to stay attuned. But the greater works come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus would leave to send the Holy Spirit to indwell every believers who would then do greater works. Think about that. The power of the Holy Spirit in you to do greater works than Jesus. Every believer has God living in them to do great things for the glory of God. We need to have a bigger vision than pew sitting. God gave you the Holy Spirit so you would have power in his mission in the world. God is calling each of us to do what we could never dream of on our own, but what we absolutely can do with him working in us and through us. The great missionary to India, William Carey, preached a sermon at the inaugural meeting of the Missionary Society that he founded in in, uh, 1792, and the sermon title was very interesting. This is what it was. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Do you expect Jesus to use you for greater things? Do you expect that? Is that just part He's going to use me for greater things? You have the Holy Spirit, right? You are a believer, right? Because if you're a true Christian, you have the power of God inside of you. Then dream big. Dream big. Go to work with Christ and for Christ and expect Christ to do great things. However he chooses to define great We can't put our definition of great into his. He decides what's great, but he will use us for great things. This is not humanistic because without faith in union with Christ, we do what? Nothing. John 15. It is Christ who works the greater things in and through us. We can actually be like our rabbi, not because Jesus believes in us, but because Jesus lives in us. I believe that many of you in here need to have a much bigger vision for your life than the one that you currently have. This is not for super Christians. It's for all Christians, whoever believes. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Are you living for man-sized great things or God-sized great things? Are you living by your power or are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit in you? There's a big difference. What are you attempting for God right now that is impossible if God does not show up and do it? Are you attempting things in your life that only, like, that you can do without God? Now, of course, God sustains the universe and He's giving you life and all of that. But besides that, you just say, oh, I'm going to go out and do stuff. And, and all of your dreams and biggest things are things that you can accomplish. What are you dreaming about and aiming for and working toward that you know is absolutely impossible if God doesn't show up and do these things? You have a God-sized vision for your life? I have some things. I'm not going to share them now. I'd be glad to share them with you sometime if you're interested. All you've got to do is ask me, but I have some God-sized things I'd like to see happen. And there's no way I'm doing them. Some involve this church and the future of our church and where we might be and where God might take us and what he might do through us. I can't make them happen. They're too big. They're impossible unless God shows up. What are you working toward that God has to supernaturally work or it doesn't happen? We need a bigger vision for our lives. Our Lord said... Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater things than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You'll never do greater works unless you believe in Jesus Christ, unless you trust him to do the greater works. Jesus is the key. It's not us. It's his power in us and through us. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 captures this point well. May the God of peace equip you with everything good, That you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. When we accomplish these things, where does the glory go? Jesus, because he's the one that's doing it, and he does it by his spirit in us. And there's something else that's really important that I want you to understand about all of this. Jesus works through our prayers to accomplish great things. Jesus works through our prayers to accomplish great things. Prayer isn't the only thing we should do. Because some people might say, well, I'm just going to pray. And that's all they do. Well, that's not all we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do a lot of other things. But prayer is something huge that we can do. Our prayers are powerful and effective because God is sovereign. Jesus told his disciples, verses 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Will God give us whatever we want? God, it is your will that I have a Ferrari and that I love Jerusalem church with my red car. I mean, what's he saying? We need to be very careful. God is not a genie. Notice four key points from these last two verses. Number one, we need to ask. We need to ask. We are in a position of need. And God wants us to ask him. Prayer is pursued by need and abandoned in arrogance. Prayer is pursued by need and abandoned in arrogance. Number two, we must ask in Jesus' name. Why do we often end our prayers? In Jesus' name, amen. Because Jesus is the power, Jesus is the effect of our prayers. God hears us through Jesus Christ. The prayers of Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and Hindus have no power because they aren't entreaties offered in the name of Jesus Christ. Prayer is effective only when done in the name of Jesus for the fame of Jesus. Prayer is effective only when done in the name of Jesus for the fame of Jesus. Number three, Jesus is the one who answers our prayers. Jesus said, this I will do, and I will do it. Jesus has the power. Do you know this? Jesus has the power to answer your prayers. Jesus responds to us. He he gives us what we need. But we must be careful. Another place in Scripture tells us that we must ask according to His will. That's 1 John. So obviously, if you pray in Jesus' name, the prayer must be consistent with the desires and will of Jesus Christ. But when we ask according to God's will and in the name of Jesus, Jesus will come through for us. Jesus hears. He's there to answer our prayers Maybe not in the the exact way that we expect, but he will respond. He will act. He will do for us. Now, the pattern of Scripture is clearly to pray to the Father. That's what we see most often. But the Scripture also shows uh, places where we pray directly to Jesus. There's a a bunch I've listed here. Uh, Verse 14 is a great example. Jesus said, if you ask me, we're asking Jesus we should ask Jesus, and then we should expect Jesus to act on our behalf. Lastly, number four, Jesus answers our prayers primarily for God's glory. The purpose of Jesus answering our prayers is that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you see that? Are our prayers motivated? We've got to study ourselves on this. Are our prayers motivated primarily by a desire to see the Father glorified in the Son? Is there something else going on there that we need to work out of why we're asking God other than His glory that He would be glorified? MacArthur was really helpful on this. He wrote this, To ask in Jesus' name means, One, the believer's prayer should be for His purposes and kingdom and not selfish reasons. Two, the believer's prayer should be on the basis of His merits and not on any personal merit of worthiness. And three, the believer's prayer should be in pursuit of His glory alone. You see, our desires in prayer must align with God's desires, God's will. We pray often that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? The more I mature in Christ, the more I understand that absolutely everything in our lives must proceed from faith everything. It's a constant uh, j- journey of believing and trusting the promises of God. If something has gone wrong in your life, I guarantee not something external to you that you can't control, but like something in your heart or whatever, and you're just, you're not clicking, I guarantee it, it goes back to faith trusting in the promises of god trusting in the power of the holy spirit to work in us trusting that god will do something trusting that when we say i don't have the strength for this you're going to have to show up and do something inside of me because this problem that i'm wrestling with is beyond me that actually you believe he's going to show up and give you exactly what you need to get through that that's faith that's the battle of faith that we do these words to his disciples were very encouraging Built these guys up. His words gave them hope, expectation, and confidence. Jesus was revealing God to them. Jesus was teaching them about his inseparable union with God. And they saw the power of God in his works. His call for them to believe was a call for them to be united to him by faith. United to God, he promised that if they believed, they would do the works that he did. In fact, if they believed, they would do greater things than he did because he would send his Holy Spirit to live and to work in them. They could ask for anything, anything consistent with his will and his name, and he would do it for them for his glory. Now, with all that in mind, I'd like to give you four simple steps to incorporate into your life. Four simple applications. I must have a thing for names. Last week, it was Kate for faith. This week, it's Bart. You know, whatever. Hey, if it's helpful. If not, burn your sheets of paper, whatever. But here it is. Believe. Be. Believe. Jesus said in verse 1, Believe in God, believe also in me. He asked them in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11, Believe me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 12, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. If you want to see God, if you want to accomplish the works that Jesus did, if you want to accomplish greater things than Jesus did, if you want to have your prayers answered, you've got to believe. Faith. You've got to trust Christ. A. Anticipate. Anticipate. We need to anticipate that Jesus will do what he said. Anticipate that you will do the works that he did. Anticipate that you will do greater things than Jesus by the power of the Spirit in you. Our request. The word in verses 13 and 14 is aiteo, which means to ask for with urgency, to request. We are in need and we must ask God. Don't, don't do the prideful thing to say, oh, I couldn't ever ask him for anything. Don't go there and be like, well, I've never asked God for a thing in my life. You pride, repent of that. That's sinful. You need to get on your knees and pour out your request to God. Please, I'm in need. Just give. Give me yourself. Give me favor. Give me peace. Give me joy. Give me the fruit of the Spirit. T, trust. When Jesus said, this I will do, or I will do it, we need to trust that he will. We need to trust that he will. This could go under believe, but then we'd have some acronym of BAR, and we might want to stay away from that. So, BART, T. Uh, So, this could go under believe, but believing is trusting, okay? So, trust that God will act for you. If we trust in Christ, he'll take us to God, my friends. take us to God. But while we're still here, he'll do great things in and through us. Let's pray. Father, what a tremendous message. It's a dangerous message. My, how we could twist these words to our own benefit, to puff ourselves up. But God, these words, Jesus said to his disciples to encourage them and to bolster their faith in him and in God, because it is only by your grace that we do anything. And so, God, I pray that we hear the words of Jesus, we believe the words of Jesus. Um, God, that we, that we believe, that we anticipate that you'll actually respond, and that, that we will request and pour our, our heart out before you, and that we'll trust that you will come through for your glory alone. And God, may Jerusalem Church, at the very heart of Jerusalem Church, may it be an unwavering faith that you are at work and that we will trust your promises. In the name of Jesus, we pray.